Open Globe Talk is a podcast series for aspiring ophthalmologists and trainees interested in obtaining education in global ophthalmology. Be part of this unique setup as we interview ophthalmologists around the globe virtually and get to create equity in service, innovation, and medical education. Welcome back to another episode of Open Globe Talk. This is your host, Rizal Nathani, and today I'm joined by Dr. Hunter Trivik, who is the president of clinical services at Orbis International, the Flying Eye Hospital. Dr. Trivik received his undergraduate degree in biology from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and his medical degree from Duke University. After his transitional year at Scripps Hospital, he completed his residency in ophthalmology at Emory University, where he was elected chief resident. Immediately upon graduating from Emory, Dr. Hunter joined Orbis International, where he was able to lecture and work in over 20 countries abroad, the Flying Eye Hospital, and help build the organization's award-winning telemedicine platform, CyberSight. And so without uh, further ado, I just want to welcome Dr. Cherbick to the show. Yeah, no, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and uh, Dr. Chervik, before we kind of dive dive into this conversation, I kind of wanted to start the um, series off with what got you interested in global ophthalmology, and was that your initial goal of entering ophthalmology? So I knew I was going to do global health uh, even before going to med school, and uh, for a while I thought I was going to do orthopedics and hand surgery. Hand surgery is super cool. If you haven't seen it, it there's some really interesting microsurgery. And then I did a rotation uh, where I actually got to work with some international ophthalmologists. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is where it's at. Uh, You don't need blood transfusions. You don't need an ICU. You can do this, you know, all around the world. And so I really got involved and got interested in ophthalmology. So for me, it was a natural fit. I knew I liked doing procedures. I knew I wanted to go and do, you know, training and uh, teaching and also learning uh, from doctors around the world and ophthalmology just was a perfect fit for me. And so you mentioned um, you got involved with global work even before you knew how if you were going to choose ophthalmology. Were those experiences uh, something that you kind of um, like got spontaneously or how did you go about? No, I knew even in college. So I like uh, in college, I did several uh, summers and semesters abroad and got to do both basic science research abroad, but also clinical care. And I, I really found there was a huge opportunity to learn through other systems and with other mentors. So for me, it was uh, a really great experience. And so I went into medical school knowing I was going to do global work. I found out I enjoyed procedures. Uh, and uh, really, it was just a, a really uh, fortunate find for me to to meet ophthalmology and ophthalmologist while working abroad. And uh, then I decided to uh, pursue that as my residency. That's awesome. And so in residency, were there any mentors that influenced you in uh, ultimately, you know, going into Orbis? Um, so can you just go over briefly, you know, what that path looked like during residency and after? Yeah, so I knew I was going to do international work entering residency. And the day I finished my residency, I actually jumped on a plane and joined Orbis. So uh, literally back when pagers were a thing, I turned in my pager at 5 p.m. and was on a flight that night to join the Orbis plane. And that was in 2005. 
I, I definitely got to work with some amazing people, not just at Emory, but throughout my residency training. Uh, and, and so certainly um, everyone at Emory was super supportive of me pursuing this. And uh, I, of course, half of them thought I was crazy, but they might have been right. But uh, I've enjoyed it. It's been a great, it's been more than 15 years now doing uh, global work and uh, I still enjoy it. Uh, certainly COVID has thrown us all a curveball. That just has allowed us to pivot and do more work with telemedicine, with research, with some of our long-term country programming. And for me, what's so exciting for ophthalmologists and med students like you is that you all have these incredible tools and technologies at your disposal. And I really think what's going to be the game changers and force multipliers are not what you do with your hands, but with your mind and the apps, the simulations, the devices, it really is going to be incredible to see what your generation and your colleagues do over the course of their career. So for me, it's going to be fun to be up in the spectator seats in five or 10 more years and see what you guys are going to be doing uh, in the uh, years ahead of us. No, yeah, I definitely agree. I think um, we didn't, we might've seen it in the 2000s where computers were getting, you know, more popular, um, but now more than ever, applications are key in giving equity to a variety of individuals living in various parts of the country or of the world. Um, speaking of which, the first assignment you um, got for Orbis was based in Beijing, China. How was that experience starting out? And were there any language um, skills that you had specifically for that location or, you know? Yeah, so I was actually in Western China uh, near Kashir or uh, in the Western part of the, uh, where really the the people look more Turkish than Han or typical Chinese. And there was a local language there. So we actually had to go through two sets of translators from English to uh, Mandarin and then Mandarin to Uyghur. So um, that was incredible. And that part of China is just pristinely beautiful. The people are fantastic. So for me, the that was a, a great opportunity to join the Orbis team, be in Western China, uh, figure out all the things I didn't even know I didn't know. And then uh, just kept going on Orbis with the plane for almost six years. Yeah, that's really surreal how your experience is. It's unlike any person I've met uh, and interviewed with. So curious to know, you know, what procedures did you do and were you comfortable after residency to, you know, be a comprehensivist like that? Yeah, I would say one thing with the Orbis Flying Eye Hospital, the staff uh, really don't do as many procedures as the volunteer faculty. Our, our, I always tell people I'm the most glorified roadie and we bring out the rock stars. So I was very fortunate to work with some of the people you've had previously on your podcast, like Lee Allward and BK Raju and some amazing people. So for me, I learned more through the dinners like I'd sit down and work with like a thought leader or the who's who of pediatrics or retina or oculoplastics. And within two years, I mean, you really got just an incredible amount of exposure. I saw every orbital tumor in one clinic uh, when we were in Ethiopia. And so taking the boards were, was actually quite easy because you're just bombarded with amazing people, lectures, surgeries. So I really didn't have to study too hard for the boards, either the written or the oral, because you kind of have uh, an oral exam or an oral prep uh, every time you sit down at dinner on the Orbis plane. So for me, that was the best part was not learning more with my hands, but learning more with my ears. 
and getting to see how local doctors, you know, like small incision cataract surgery and things that we really didn't have a lot of exposure to in residency. You know, I would get to go to these systems where there are doctors who are doing literally over a hundred cataracts a day and getting to see amazing surgeons with innovative techniques and tools. It was just such a special time. And I, I certainly am grateful for all the professors who took time, not just those who were our volunteer faculty, but also the local doctors. I'd spend time after and spend extra hours in their OR and just get to see amazing techniques and some of the best surgeons in the world, uh, especially uh, in India, where I got to work with some very special professors like Prashant Gurg, who's now the uh, director at LB Prasad. He's someone that I admire and view as a mentor over the last 15, 20 years. That's amazing. Um, and, you know, I think we've, we've talked about um, your experience. And so I want to dive into or transition into what Orbis is. Yeah, so Orbis is a nonprofit organization. Um, we're best known for the Flying Eye Hospital. That's only 20% of what we do. So if you look at our budget, the plane and hospital is only a small fraction of our portfolio. So we have country offices around the world. So, for example, in India, we've helped build 33 pediatric eye hospitals. Every year in Ethiopia, we distribute over $200 million with Azithromax to treat an infectious cause of blindness called uh, trachoma. Uh, in Bangladesh, we have an incredibly innovative team that works with um, uh, retinologists and does uh, diabetic eye care and creates vision centers around the country in more uh, remote areas. So from, for me, what's kind of exciting about Orbis is we've got the Flying Eye Hospital, we've got country programs, and really what's been the crown jewel over the last two years with COVID has been our CyberSight platform. So if you haven't been to CyberSight, it's C-Y-B-E-R-S-I-G-H-T.org. It's a freely available website that is for distance learning, mentoring. We have artificial intelligence. It really is trying to connect patients to the best care and participants to the best teaching. And so for, you know, it's a really incredible position and team where one moment I'm on the call with the uh, uh, head of aircraft operations, making sure the plane is ready to go. We're about to go to California for some goodwill tours. And then the next call I'm on with CyberSight, and we're talking about AI algorithms. Then the next call I'm speaking with the team in India and looking at some really cool technologies for our uh, refractive error projects for school children. And so it really is a, a very engaging and exciting program portfolio. So Orbis is a nonprofit. Um, I, you can go to orbis.org and read all about it. I just really want to make sure your listeners know that the plane is by far what got the uh, organization off the ground and is our most visible icon, but now it's part of a larger comprehensive portfolio. And so it has definitely grown from being a, a flying hospital to a much bigger organization. Yeah. So when we took off in 1982, it was a DC-8 and the plane was the launch of the organization. And then in 1994, we switched to a DC-10. And then in 2016, it's now an MD-10, which is maintained and was retrofitted with the help of FedEx and other incredible corporate sponsors. So the plane is still, you know, something that we maintain. Uh, we have not done um, uh, a lot of international programming with the plane during uh, COVID, but we've pivoted and now the entire Flying Eye Hospital team is doing virtual courses, creating content. We have some amazing uh, courses. And for example, the Fly and Eye Hospital team actually uh, translated the ROP course, the Retinopathy of Prematurity course into Spanish, and just did a huge symposia to launch that. 
So I think the things that I really appreciate about our culture and our team at Orbis is the resilience, the clarity of mission, and the innovation, where over the last, you know, 18 months, two years with COVID, everything has been put on the cybersite backbone and been globalized. Cybersites in every country in the world, except for North Korea, Western Sahara, and Turkmenistan. So like certainly, you know, we're reaching everywhere. Uh, we'll give webinars where literally over 100 countries are watching live and asking questions. So it really is kind of exciting to see, you know, how a doctor in Hong Kong can be giving a lecture and answering questions from Yemen, just things that I never thought would be taking place when I graduated from med school, right? Like I never thought I'd be sitting there talking about AI and doing a randomized clinical trial in Rwanda and then getting on and helping build a a simulator for small incision cataract surgery using gaming hardware like video games and Oculus. This is not what I learned. But again, I also didn't learn how to do a pandemic during med school, right? And I think that's really what I would encourage your listeners, especially those who are thinking about a career in medicine, not necessarily ophthalmology, but medicine is making sure you really practice learning agility, find great mentors, and try to think about which technologies will best serve you and your patients. Excellent advice. I think we're all learning uh, in a very steep uh, curve, just how to advance our uh, knowledge. Um, Speaking of which, you know, when we talk about countries, how does Orbis decide, you know, where to go, and where the greatest needs are and how to prioritize that? Is that where to go with the plane or programmatically Mm -hmm. with our country office or just the plane? Just the plane, yeah. Yeah, so uh, the plane obviously has aircraft and airport uh, requirements, both security, landings, all of that. We have to get invitations. The plane is really not a service delivery vehicle. It's a skills transfer, systems transfer, team training conference. So we need a critical mass of ophthalmologists, nurses, anesthesiologists, and engineers. And really it's a skills exchange program where it's a two to four week conference. So we need to get a proper approvals, uh, accreditations, and the partner hospital where they really want to work with our teams and move up the technology chain, work on new subspecialties like pediatrics. We really try to push pediatrics um, on the plane programs uh, because that also then allows for greater teaching for anesthesia and biomedical engineering, et cetera. So there are countries like Ethiopia where we've been many times um, and India where we've been many times. And that's because A, it's incredibly uh, good to work where we also have long-term programming. So those are countries where we have country offices and boots on the ground. Uh, but also uh, there's a critical mass of ophthalmologists. So every seat in the classroom, there's 46 seats in the classroom, can participate, watch the surgeries, do the simulations, uh, do the lectures. Uh, but what's really cool is through CyberSight now, we can turn the classroom into a broadcast studio. And so now we sometimes will have more countries watching the surgery being performed on the plane than there are seats in the classroom. And so that's kind of things I, I thought was probably more uh, sci-fi than reality when I started Orbis. And now, you know, we're doing things I never imagined. And that's, the, I think, why you can hear the enthusiasm and excitement in my voice is I truly believe the best is yet to come. And there's going to be some really smart people like you and your listeners who are going to figure out devices and doodads and, you know, new systems that are really going to change the game and close the digital divide and really try to get global resources to patients and to healthcare providers. 
Yeah. And one of the things that I think is really interesting with CyberSite is initially it was, you know, geared for low middle income countries, but uh, there's an increased audience from, you know, high income countries as well. So what is the, I guess, use of used by these users from the, the countries and how are they using that knowledge to help other, you know, low in- income environments? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Uh, certainly, I never thought the U- U.S. was going to be one of our top five consumers for CyberSite. I think that just validates the quality of our work and that the content is so good that even in high resource settings with great residency programs, people still like our stuff. And so I, I don't view that as mission creep. I don't think that's a problem. It's not costing us any money, whether a billion people use it or one person uses it. Basically, it's the run cost. So I'm happy that we've gotten such great endorsement and utilization in the UK, Canada, US, Europe, et cetera. It's really exciting where I'll be at the AAO or one of the uh, ophthalmic conferences and people are coming up and they're like, hey, I just saw you on CyberSite. And I was like, wow, I didn't guess that someone from you know, Johns Hopkins was going to come up and ask me about CyberSite. So yeah, I, I think it's just an endorsement and showing that we really are all connected. And it is fun when residents are breaking out and going through cognitive aids or mnemonics or helping each other study for the OCAPs or their ICO exams. It really is fun to see how we've created an online community through CyberSite and how you know data flies so fast now that residents are passing around notes and, hey, here's how I remembered this. And hey, here's a great book and look at this link. That to me, that kind of academic frenzy is what CyberSite's all about. That's amazing. Um, speaking of which, are there any, uh, I guess, obstacles to using like a virtual platform and not being able to be in person? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say obstacles. I think there's no matter how you decide to deliver education or care, there's there's pros and cons, there's advantages and disadvantages. Uh, one of the things that's really exciting is how fast the internet has globalized. And uh, in Q4 of this year, we're going to launch the CyberSite app. 80% of our community uh, accesses CyberSite exclusively through their phone. A lot of our participants don't have standard laptops or iPads or other things. So I think you're going to see a huge bump in the amount of CyberSite utilization and those who are using it. CyberSite is not just for ophthalmologists. We have resources on there for nursing, engineering, anesthesia, optometry. Really, it takes a village to give a child their site back. And we want every person who's involved with the patient care pathway to feel connected and feel supported and have resources available to them through CyberSite. So, yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of seeing how uh, people have repurposed and taken what we created and, and made it their own and, and customize it for their hospital or in their language. So, for example, one of the top languages on CyberSite now is Mongolian. And that's simply because now it's become the platform for the residency programs, the ophthalmology society, grand rounds, and Mongolia, outer Mongolia, like Ulaanbaatar, is one of my favorite places on earth. I mean, it's a gorgeous country, amazing people. Uh, there's so many things. I, I And every time I go there, I, I feel like CyberSite has paved the way so that when we show up, everyone's already done the basic science. They've watched the videos. Now we're doing shoulder to shoulder training. But what's really cool is even after we leave with the Orvis plane or one of our volunteer faculty leave after our hospital-based training, that we now are getting doctors who are staffing real-time cases in Mongolia from their clinics and homes in the United States. 
So we, we published on this uh, about a year ago is something called remote surgical mentorship, where after spending time together, really getting to know each other, getting doctors through the initial steep part of the learning curve, that we can continue to provide coaching and real-time support through CyberSight so that we'll connect through some audiovisual and um, uh, the uh, CyberSight platform. We'll actually have a doctor like Dr. Dan Neely in Indiana waking up and helping the doctors in Mongolia with some of their first cases that they're doing by themselves, even though he's been there and taught them that procedure before. And now, okay, now move your hand this way. Okay, do that. I mean, that's, again, that's like James Bond stuff, right? Like, wait, you're, you're literally having a guy in Indiana helping the doctor in Mongolia on a, a pediatric glaucoma case. So that to me is where I want your listeners and you and people who are going into ophthalmology, like just totally think and reimagine what's possible with global ophthalmology. And, and that doesn't have to be in outer Mongolia, right? It could be in inner city Atlanta, where I did, you know, some of my training, I, I think really the more I travel, the more I realize there's need everywhere. And certainly there's waves of, you know, uh, blinding conditions, whether it's diabetes or, or other things that we need to be thinking about to better serve our patients in our community. And to me, that's the, the real important thing is knowing that you don't have to travel to do a huge amount of good, both in your backyard, but also globally. That's wonderful. I think that's really unique in how we define global ophthalmology because, you know, part of global also means local. And there are definitely a lot of states and areas within states that are struggling to have ophthalmologists. And so is there any incorporation of Orbis, I guess, in or the network of Orbis in how ophthalmologists in rural America or uh, underserved communities can link with experienced surgeons in another specialty that may not be represented in their area. So just so I understand your question, are you asking, are we doing consults and training in the United States? And purposely, no, that is not, right now our exclusive focus is on low to middle income countries. A lot of the resources on CyberSite are being picked up in the U.S. So especially with nursing communities, um, it's really exciting to see that we'll do a, a nursing lecture and see how many IP addresses and how many centers are, are joining. But right now we are not uh, pursuing programmatic work or partners in the U.S., for example. That's, uh, I think that makes sense because it is that mission for Orbis to be able to go into LMICs. Uh, speaking of all the nurses, uh, you know, what is really unique about Orbis is the nurses are flight attendants as well. They get training to be able to take care of the, uh, of any emergencies and so forth. So how, how do you recruit this faculty? So that's a very, let me try to unpack that. The Flying Eye Hospital team is kind of like the Flying United Nations. And one of the things I always appreciate is we always have more than 10 countries represented on that team. The largest team is in fact, the nursing team. So we have nurses from on the Orbis full-time staff. We have nurses from South Africa, China, Peru, the Philippines. It's really exciting to see how they all work together and bring their own ways of doing things, their own systems, but then also have the Orbis standards and policies. Every single person who's on the Flying Eye Hospital is certified as a flight attendant annually. So everyone, you know, I've been a flight attendant more times than I can remember. Um, and I think, you know, what's really exciting is to see how much similarity is there between aviation and medicine, the focus on safety, 
team training, checklists, simulation. And so it's really fun. And I've learned a lot about how to be a better teacher by watching some of our pilots and our aircraft team teach. So yes, to to answer your question, we do have full-time Orbis employees who are staff. All of those on the Fly and Eye Hospital are certified as flight attendants. The largest team is the nursing team. They're incredible human beings. They've been in operating rooms all around the world. We have one nurse, his name is Leo. He's been with Orbis for more than 25 years. He literally has been in hundreds of hospitals and operating rooms in his life. He knows how to fix things and do things that no other human being can do. But we also have amazing, you know, the nurses that talking about innovation, we give every child who is treated on an Orbis Flying Eye Hospital program, a teddy bear that's sponsored by Omega. Well, they don't only give that to make the child feel better when they wake up. Actually, before the child goes under anesthesia, they actually use the teddy bear as a teaching device. And they have the child put the patch on the same eye that they're having surgery on. And then the next day we have the child take the patch off the eye before we do that with them. And that was something that our nursing team came up with. So I, I'm a huge fan of nursing. I'm a huge fan of our nursing team. They really are um, the ones who drive patient care and are the ones that consistently help us get through the day and get through, you know, cases and, and teaching and, and all of that. Um, you talk about how we need to educate the patients once they leave the flying eye hospital. You know, how are these patients followed up? So Two weeks before the plane lands, every patient starts their file or starts a case and they start discussing through CyberSite so that the local doctor is discussing with the volunteer faculty who will be coming in. So every case, every patient, we know what, what is the surgical plan, what supplies may be needed, et cetera. On the day of what we call screening day, which is the clinic day where we see all 25 or 30 patients per subspecialty, all of those discussions are available at the fingertip uh, at the iPad so that the volunteer faculty and the doctors as they meet say, oh, yeah, yeah, this is where you wanted me to look at this. And so it really focuses the exam and saves all their conversation and really enriches both the patient care as well as the teaching. Every patient then has three sets of counseling. So they're counseled by the staff ophthalmologist, the staff anesthesiologist, and the nurse. We go through a patient bill of rights. Uh, patients also have counseling by the, the local um, nurse provider or the social worker. Sometimes they're admitted overnight, sometimes not, depends on the local hospital and the country's policy. Um, we obviously have our operating room schedule posted. We go through the week. We always see the patients post-op day one. We you know, uh, document all this in the electronic medical records, which the partners have access to. And then even after the plane takes off, six to eight weeks later, one of our staff ophthalmologists flies back commercially and examines all the patients again. We call that the surgical case review. So I, I just want to make sure you know that um, you know, the, every case is discussed well in advance of the hospital. It's all organized on a a beautiful electronic medical records, which the partners have access to. And then six to eight weeks later, the staff ophthalmologist from Orbis comes back and re-examines all the patients. Well, that's really neat. So the EMR is a central EMR that is used, that is the same for all different sites that you go so that they can access the patient information. Yeah, so um, it's probably one of the most comprehensive uh, patient charts I've ever seen. So patients sign uh, three different types of consent. 
As I said, they have three different education stations. Uh, we do not operate unless the patient or their care provider can repeat the surgical site, the plan procedure, the risk benefits and alternatives. So one of the things that we're very, you know, um, I, I feel like, our, again, this, is, this speaks to our nursing team. Our nurses really are the ones who champion for the patients and they will stop the process and go back to the ophthalmologist and say, hey, they're still not clear on this. Can you please go through this again? And so I, I would say that no system is perfect. However, we really have a nice checklist and are able to have different teams saying things in different ways and reinforcing the message uh, so that, uh, you know, really um, the patients and their families know what to expect. Because you can imagine if you're a small child, you've never been on a plane before, you step on board, you're surrounded by funny looking people like me wearing a mask, speaking a language you don't understand. You could understand why it might be a little concerning, right? And so we really let the patients know what to expect, the families, what to expect. Every single patient comes with an attendant. So they're never alone. Even if they're 45 years old, they bring their brother, their sister, their spouse, whatever. Um, so that we really try to make sure that the patient experience is, is, is clear and supported as possible. Yeah, I think that's a very comprehensive way of doing uh, the best you can. Uh, in a setting like the what the Orbis Hospital has. Um, and one of my, I guess, with AI, that's dependent on the institutions you work with, and they collect the information regarding a population and, you know, what the prevalence of a disease is and how efficacious the surgical interventions are. So, so let me let me reframe artificial intelligence. Uh, what makes our organization unique? Um, we do not use AI for screening. We use it for teaching. So instead of machine learning, we do something called machine mentoring. So when a doctor from a low to middle income country submits a cybersite consult, they have the opportunity for posterior segment photos to turn on AI so they can get real time support. The algorithm is not autonomous AI. We combine this as part of a consultative process and we have the doctor who is consulting walk through the algorithm so they can actually see where there's exudates or hemorrhages or what is the cup to disc ratio. So our AI is not used as part of the flying eye hospital programs. It's really used as the machine mentoring and starting the e-consultation mentoring process. So we are not trying to do mass screenings. We are not trying to do autonomous AI right now. What we're trying to do is build um, a, another layer of teaching and another way of providing our participants with new tools to standardize their evaluations and be able to go back and look at the patient one more time. You know, with, you know the, the algorithms usually can give um, a consult within... 10 to 15 seconds, which is fantastic, but that's still read by a human being and they do further discussions and mentorship. So for AI, the AI is part of right now really embedded in our cybersite program. It's really being studied very carefully in randomized clinical trials. And uh, I'm really excited by our partners and how well they've used it. 
That's exciting. Um, and I hope that that actually continues to grow and you gain more, you know, ability to do autonomous um, work with the AI. But of course, as we all know, every country is going to have its own regulations on its use. Um, and it'll be very exciting to see which countries adopt it in what ways. Um, in And my last question, I guess, is more of a thought uh provoking question because it's been many many years that you've been part of orbis and um i was curious to know you know flying around the world and experiencing different cultures how has that changed your perspective on you know training as an ophthalmologist and just being you know a fellow human to to others who you know maybe you've never connected with in in previous life but you know you are at the present through your interventions and your work? Yeah, I think one of the things I really try to practice is gratitude. And certainly I'm grateful for the opportunity, the partnerships and the friendships I've made over the last, you know, 15, 20 years. Uh, so first of all, I would say that, you know, it's, it's exciting to find mentors around the world and find commonalities. And, you know, uh, I, I think, the most important thing is to remain humble and realize that you've been very fortunate in your life, but also you're always going to be a student. And one of the things that I really love about Orbis is every month I learn something new, whether it's ophthalmology or history or culture or art or languages or religions. I think for me, that's something that I, I truly enjoy is just constantly learning. And I think the I learn through conversations like what we're having now and being able to work with the best people from around the world and being able to see the most interesting diseases, the most severe pathologies, the patients in greatest need and be able to add my little bit that I can is very rewarding and very meaningful for me. So I think the the connections you make, the friendships you make, it just, it creates a very virtuous cycle of education where I'm just as excited to learn. For, I have meetings tomorrow. I'm already excited for the, I was, we're, today's a Sunday. I'm already doing work today for my meetings tomorrow. I, I really enjoy my job. I enjoy going to work. It's not a grind. It's not monotony and just rolling the boulder up the hill to watch it go back down. I mean, certainly it's not all sunshine and rainbows and we're constantly dealing with frustrations and budget constraints and COVID and geopolitical situations. But that's kind of what I enjoy. And I think that's what drives people to work at Orbis is they want challenges. They want these unique rewards to see and work with amazing faculty and partners and patients. That, that to me is a very exciting pursuit that I, I enjoy more and more. And especially as I get older, I, I realize that, you know, it's been a true blessing to be able to work with the Orbis team and our partners, and I've gotten to meet some amazing patients. We still, I, there are certain countries where I go back and the patients will come and it's just so gratifying to see how much that surgery or that intervention changed their life. Like literally I, I have patients who will come back 10 years later to thank us, or they hear that the Orbis plane is in town and they just wanted to let us know how well they're doing. That's pretty cool. And like I said, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly amazed at how powerful ophthalmology and ophthalmic interventions are. You really can transform a community, a family, or a patient's life. 
That's amazing. And it kind of gives me goosebumps for, you know, exactly why we're all involved in global ophthalmology in our own small ways. And I would be remiss to say that, you know, the importance of following your passions uh, is, is really important. And this podcast episode is an example of that. So I really appreciate that you took the time to um, speak with us today and share with our listeners some really important tips on how to navigate their own career and to also, you know, be inspired by this episode. No, absolutely. I just want to thank you for what you're doing. It's pretty impressive. And this is what's so exciting for me. I mean, you have not even started your ophthalmic residency and you already are doing all these incredible things, right? Like you're doing podcasts and meeting people like Nag Rao and Lee Allward. I mean, those are giants. I mean, I'm nothing compared to those, those, those two individuals. And you're already getting to work with them and interview them and learn from them and figure out how to take a bit from this career and a bit from this person's ideas and make it your own. I mean, you all are going to have such amazing careers and opportunities. I, it, I mean, literally, I, do you have a pager? You don't carry a pager anymore, right? Of course not. Well, we, I mean, like, we do. <laughs> do you really? A residency level, yes. Okay, well, you know, but, you know, the technologies you all have at your fingertips and the fact that, you know, what's, we're going to have an explosion of data and devices and it's going to be that the the person who's going to make the biggest impact in ophthalmology is not going to be someone who's a great surgeon. It's going to be a great engineer, a great, you know, medical anthropologist, a great, someone who's going to harness something far bigger and better than their hands in a blade. That's what's going to be really exciting is, is who's going to come out with this latest thing that's going to totally disrupt the field and level the playing field and allow all patients or all doctors to have the same training experience. That's pretty exciting for me. Yeah, equally excited here. So thank you. Yeah. Well, I hope everyone stays safe. And again, thank you for this opportunity to talk about Orbis and especially the Flying Eye Hospital team. Thank you for listening to Open Globe Talk. If you enjoyed this podcast, follow us on Twitter at Open Globe Talk. You can access audio recordings on our website, openglobetk.com, where we make our sessions available on Spotify, Apple, and Google. Our release dates are each Friday evening of the week we interview our guest speakers. We are incredibly appreciative of our listeners and hope you ride along to meet more inspirational figures in global ophthalmology. Thanks and take care.